with great power comes great responsibility. Yes, we are back doing look backs. Hello and welcome. That's right. You're trapped in nerd cage live. They say just a reaction show, but a debate show and a live discussion on everything that makes people like you and I tick. So thank you for joining us tonight. Please hit that like button and subscribe. I'm your co-host, Jay St. G, coming to you live from Syracuse, New York, and always with me, the warrior from Wakanda, the fiend from Louisville, my man, Mark Weathers. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, man? Super excited to be here as usual. And yes, tonight's episode is going to be dedicated to the 20th anniversary of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. And who better to join us than another Spider-Man super fan? Wildman, how are you today? I am doing fantastic, Jay and Mark. Thank you for having me on here. Spider-Man has been one of my biggest things I've been a fan of in Marvel in particular since I was a kid. I remember going to the movies, midnight showings with my dad to see these three Raimi movies, in particular the first one. Awesome. So glad for you to join us. I know, Jay, you did a rewatch recently. If you would, let us know how you feel about that rewatch and overall what this movie means to you. This movie still holds up pretty damn good. And I'll just say, like, the hype train for this movie was incredible. Man, I do feel old. I can't believe that was 20 years ago. But listen, X-Men walked so Spider-Man could run. It put that modern superhero movie genre into overdrive. This movie was critically well-received. It was well-received by the fans. And also, this movie bitch slap attack of the clones at the time which really makes me happy <laughs> you know just throwing that out there but my version of spider-man growing up was the 90s animated series mm -hmm. and i felt like toby mcguire and sam raimi's version to this day is the closest version we got to that and i'm talking peter parker aunt may uncle ben mary j watson the Osborne and so on and so forth. I just felt like that particular era of Spider-Man was well captured here. And Mark, the one thing you always talk about is high school was just a small part of his history. I kind of like the fact that this movie kind of glossed over his high school years kind of quickly, kind of starts off with his graduation. And then we get to see Spider-Man become a college student and so on and so forth. Yeah, the special effects have aged a little bit, but the writing's so well done. Sam Raimi's trademarks all over this film. I really got not much to add to that. Awesome. Now, what we normally do here on Nerd Cage Live is break down the production history of these movies. I wanted to just jump right into this because this is an incredibly interesting saga that goes all the way back to the 1980s, starting with legendary producer Roger Corman, who in the early 80s decided to develop a script along with Stan Lee himself for Orion Pictures, who had just acquired that. Now, the interesting part of that is that at the same time, Orion had recently acquired rights to the X-Men and was trying to get that developed at the same time. Now, of course, budgetary constraints and creative differences caused that production to stall. And eventually, Orion sold the rights off to Canon Pictures. Now, Canon Pictures is known for their 80s schlocky movies, very low budget, not very good films at all. <laughs> and they completely misunderstood the Spider-Man character and wanted to turn Peter Parker into a giant tarantula by the end of the film 
which of course Stan Lee put his foot down and said, absolutely not. Eventually, Canon itself was sold off to Pathé Productions. Now, fast forward into the 90s, rights to the character ultimately fall back to Marvel. Marvel then sells the rights to MGM for $7 million. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Around that same time, Sony Pictures acquires the film rights to the book Casino Royale, which is, of course, a James Bond film, and MGM is the house of James Bond. In order for MGM to get those rights, they negotiated a deal with Sony for the Spider-Man rights. To this day, Sony is owner of the Spider-Verse. It is nice seeing both Disney slash Marvel Studios working with Sony on the current iteration with Tom Holland and the ongoing uh, Sony Spider-Verse films with Venom, the newest Morbius, and soon Craven the Hunter. But it's interesting seeing how much of a grip they have on the specific Spider-Man character, especially with the first three Raimi films, the two web movies, and now the current partnership they have with Disney. Absolutely. We definitely got to talk about cast here because I remember when Pleasantville first came out and I remember receiving the news like, hey, the kid from Pleasantville is going to be your Peter Parker. And I remember being semi-excited for it. I was like, okay, Pleasantville was a good movie. Let's see how he does as Spider-Man. Now, this is just kind of not a knock on the whole cast, but despite seeing a bunch of 20-something and 30-somethings in a high school on a school bus, <laughs> I feel like this version of Spider-Man is the most relatable Spider-Man that we've gotten to this date. He was the most geeky Spider-Man to this day. You know, where Andrew Garfield felt like he was a cool kid, and Tom Holland was a cool kid. Toby Maguire's Peter Parker wasn't the cool kid. And then look at the rest of the cast. James Franco's performance wasn't good. I think he was still rough around the edges here. Kirsten Dunst was a wonderful Mary Jane, in my opinion. I know a lot of people think otherwise. I thought she was wonderful. Shout out to Rosemary Harris, great as Aunt May. Mm -hmm. Cliff Robertson, amazing as Uncle Ben. The two MVPs here. Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, Green Goblin. J.K. Simmons. The my only. God, that was meant to be the only J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> yes. So guys, what do you think of this cast looking back 20 years later? I have my favorite Peter Parker, but Toby was the first I saw, like growing up, going to the movies, seeing these on the big screen. I was like, yeah, this is Peter Parker. And then we got Andrew Garfield with the Webverse, now Tom Holland with the current iteration. I will say Andrew Garfield is probably my favorite Spider-Man, but I'll always enjoy Toby's performance in these three films. Willem Dafoe and J.K. Simmons have been so good as these characters, they brought them back for Spider-Man No Way Home. That's how good they were as these characters. That's so weird to think that they've been playing these characters for now 20 years. James Franco is my Harry Osborn. Kirsten Dunst was fine as Mary Jane. I don't hate her, I don't love her. She's like, hey, that's Mary Jane from the Raimi movies. And of course, Rosemary Harris is the quintessential Aunt May. Yeah, I have to agree, particularly with UJ. I think that overall this cast best represented the Silver Age version of the Spider-Man comic. It was good that Sam Raimi directed this being the super fan that he is because he was able to capture all of those elements from the original comic and give it that vibe. And he was smart enough to pick Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, to pick Rosemary Harris as Aunt May, Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben, and so on and so forth. It's cool that he's got his fingerprints all over this movie. I can remember in the movie theater, okay? Norman Osborn is trying to remember what happened last night and get that jump scare. That made the whole theater startle and gave me a heart attack. It was incredible. <laughs> 
But that just shows you that like Sam Raimi's not shy to put his element of horror in, even though it's not a horror movie, but he definitely puts the scary elements in there. Willem Dafoe is perfect and that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, I mean, only Willem Dafoe and Sam Raimi could bring us that. And of course, Bruce Campbell's cameo in the rustling ring. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I really like, given Sam Raimi's background with Evil Dead, I just think he was perfect for these movies. To read a quote really quick from the uh, limited edition collection of the Raimi trilogy, uh, there's a little 40 page behind the scenes book with the details of info on all three Raimi films. Uh, one little sip quote I want to read from here. I went in and explained to them my love for the character and about my respect and admiration for what all the great Marvel writers and artists had created over the years. The next day I received the award that I was selected for the job. I feel a terrific responsibility as a longtime fan myself and I concentrated on the things that I felt were true about the character to capture the spirit and soul of Spider-Man and to tell the best story that we possibly could. You can just tell he is a giant fan and cares so much to want to do right by the fans who went to go see these movies. All right, so gentlemen, what are some of your highlights and favorite scenes, man? So, Will, go ahead. This one, like, moment, like, just always sticks out to me. Yeah, it's a very blatant Superman ripoff, the Macy's Day Parade. When Goblin starts attacking, you see a slow-mo shot of him ripping open his shirt, and you see the spider symbol underneath. Swings in, kicks Goblin off his ladder, and he falls down into that tent. Like, that moment will always stick with me. I don't know why, but just, like, that is Spider-Man. Swinging in action, kicking the bad guy off his, like, whatever, and, like, just stamping, like, I'm here to help. I gotta say, my favorite scenes in any origin story is when the hero is first testing out their powers and discovering what they can do. For me, it's that first moment when he's climbing up the wall and looking down and kind of amazed at himself at what he's able to achieve. And then he's jumping on the rooftops and trying to figure out how to shoot his webs for the first time. Go web, go, all that. And then of course, the fight with Flash Thompson, brilliantly played by Joe Manganiello. I don't know how he got picked <laughs> to play a high schooler <laughs> when he was very clearly in his 30s at the time. But uh, I just thought that that was a really funny scene. Very well done in terms of the slow-mo. Jay, what about you? Before I get to my favorite scenes, I just want to tack on to something that you just said, Mark, involving the high school fight. We all know, it's. I think it's pretty common knowledge that Tobey Maguire isn't the easiest person to work with. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to bash the guy. According to Joe Maganello, one of the on-set PA guys came up to him and said, I know you're getting ready to do this fight scene with Toby. I will give you $100 if you actually land a punch and make it look like an accident. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe says that he's getting ready for the scene. Everybody's like eyeballing him like, oh my God, is he going to do it? Is he going to punch him? For Everybody on set wanted Joe to punch Toby, and I just think it's a hilarious story. As far as my favorite scenes go, listen, as a kid, when I first saw it when I was in high school, I just loved the action scenes. They've aged now, but as an adult, two scenes for me. When you see the compilation of New Yorkers, they're being interviewed saying, hey, have you seen the Spider-Man? And you, know, you see the woman with the St. Bernard, which is great, I'm a St. Bernard owner. And you know, you get the one other New Yorker, he, he stinks and I don't like him. And then we get a cameo from Xena herself, Lucy Laws, all gothed out. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh yeah, it seems pretty hot. 
I love that. I just, I think, I think this movie really captures New York City and New Yorkers very well. And that's one of the things I love about the movie. And then for me, the other scene that stands out, Willem Dafoe looking at the mirror, seeing his reflection of the Green Goblin talking back to him. My guys, that executed so damn well. Oh yeah, that whole Jekyll and Hyde sequence just shows how amazing of an actor Willem Dafoe is, quickly switching between the Goblin persona and Norman Osborn. His toothy grin as the Goblin, it's both interesting and creepy as hell. Yeah, missed opportunity to covering that wonderful face with the mask that they used. While that mask didn't kill the movie for me, I would have much preferred to see Willem Dafoe in some kind of makeup or something done to his face so that we could actually see those facial expressions when he was actually on the glider. I think most people know nowadays, there was that infamously leaked footage of some sort of like makeup appliance with animatronic enhancements of a goblin face. Now, granted, it probably wouldn't have meshed well with the metallic and like purple sheen green suit that they gave, but that is classic goblin that makeup test that they did it just looks fantastic and jay to uh put a quick note on that new yorker scene infamously the teaser trailer for spider-man showed a sequence where spider-man webs a helicopter in between the twin towers yeah and since this movie was released after 9-11 they had to change that sequence to include those different cameos of new yorkers giving his opinion on spider-man as opposed to the twin tower sequence now granted when they zoom out and you see spider-man and he webs off and swings then we cut to the daily bugle you see a fraction of the twin towers reflected in his spider lenses i remember the environment around the time of 9-11 which was when the initial promos came out and yep. I remember them suddenly taking them off and having to change them all last minute to take the World Trade Center out. And the movie, I think, was postponed at the time. It came out of May 2002 because of 9-11. Right. Another movie that was affected by 9-11 at the same time was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called Collateral Damage. So yeah, 9-11 did affect the production of this movie. But yeah, Green Goblin, I think, was the perfect villain to set off this whole Spider-Man trilogy because Green Goblin was one of the most prominent villains and I'm glad they started with him. Yeah, in the original treatment, it was going to be the Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus in the same movie. Oh. Yeah, and they decided sort of halfway through pre-production that it would be too difficult to develop those characters and give proper origins to both within a 90 minute to two hour movie. So they decided to split those story arcs into Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2. Which was the correct decision. The yes. right decision, absolutely. And we got to tackle the age old question, guys. So obviously some Spider-Man diehards were upset about the organic web shooters versus the web canisters. So I just want to ask you guys, were you bothered by the organic web? It didn't bother me. I thought it was a little weird, but I grew up in an era where any superheroes that were represented on screen were changed in some way anyway. And so I thought that this was a very small price to pay to have the rest of the character be so true to form and so accurate. Me personally, I am a fan of the web shooter. I mean, I remember the toy campaigns like, oh, you could buy those like web shooters that shot the silly string. 
And I believe one of the trailers even had CG web shooters in it. So I think they were still deciding whether to do a CG web shooter or like an actual web shooter versus the organic webs. I love even still to this day, in no way home, we get the jokes of the organic webs between the three Spider-Man. I just, love that. That's just perfect. <laughs> And plus, with the organic webs, we get those unique and recognizable sound effects with the you play those in any sort of Spider-Man meter, like, oh, those are the Raimi web sound effects. Yeah, I wasn't too bothered by it. The thing that bothered me more, honestly, this is definitely a nitpick. I would have preferred being him bit by a radioactive spider instead of a genetically enhanced spider. That's just me, though. <laughs> and you could argue that it was radioactive in its genetically enhanced properties. Right, and I think that speaks to Raimi's sense of verisimilitude in terms of developing the character, right? Because at the time that Stan Lee developed that origin story about a radioactive spider, not a whole lot was understood about how radioactivity works. Well, we now know that radioactivity absolutely causes cancer, absolutely erodes the human body and causes death almost immediately. He probably took all of that into account and decided to change that. Now, speaking to the web shooter versus organic webs, and this is very odd to me, that he thought that having the webs come out of Peter's body was more believable than a high school student being able to engineer and develop mechanical web shooters. And that's why he made that choice. Even though he's a genius and so he, on and right. so forth. <laughs> I would have preferred that too, yeah. We gotta talk about Danny Elfman and the score and that banging soundtrack. Danny Elfman's score to this day is like my favorite Spider-Man score and maybe in like my top three favorite superhero scores ever composed. I love it. As being a metalhead and a rocker, man, I just love this freaking soundtrack. I mean, Sum 41 with Carrie King, Jerry Cantrell, Corey Taylor's bother, Alien Ant Farm, Macy Gray, who was in the movie, shout out to Green Day. <laughs> <laughs> the one we definitely gotta talk about is the main theme song, Hero, from Chad Kroger of Nickelback and Josie Scott of Saliva. That was the biggest song in the world, there's no denying that. Say what you want about Nickelback, but that song is a great song. Uh, by the way, I'm a huge Saliva fan, and Mark, that's how we met. Absolutely. That. I toured with Saliva. <laughs> nope, that's how we went. When you guys were on tour, you guys came through. I'm so glad we're doing this look back in particular. We'll get to talk about this. But Josie Scott was only paid $5,000 when that was the biggest song in the world. I got a feel for Josie here. Now it's hard for me to listen to that song, knowing that he got ripped off. Outside of that, I mean, it's a fantastic soundtrack. Guys, is there any songs from that soundtrack that really stick out to you? Or if you want to talk about the score, go for it. Raimi's and Elfman's world and score are easily quickly recognizable in terms of film soundtracks and superhero theme songs. You play the opening theme, everyone's like, yeah, the Toby Spider-Man theme. Like it's so easily recognizable and easily one of the greatest superhero theme songs for any Marvel character. The entire score as a whole is fantastic, but I'll never get that theme song out of my head. It's just so good. You'd have to say that Danny Elfman was the Hans Zimmer of his time. 
when you thought about movie soundtracks, particularly in this new era of comic book movies and superhero movies, you really thought about him because of Batman 1989 and Batman Returns and even the animated series. It's not surprising to me that he would come up with such an epic sounding score, completely fitting for this film. Now, when you talk about the soundtrack itself, my absolute favorite song on there is one of my absolute favorite songs, which is Bothered by Stone Sour. It was a surprising hit <laughs> for yeah. the type of music that they do, but it just fits so perfectly. Even to this day, I just really enjoy that song. All right, guys, so let's give this film a rating 20 years later. So, Will, what would you give this movie one through 10? Oh, man, why you gotta do this to me? <laughs> we do that here in the case. I know, I know, man. It's hard to rate just the first Raimi film because I love all three. Spider-Man 2002, uh, well, I'm probably gonna have to give a solid eight out of 10. The cast, the score, just the environment that that movie creates will always like hold a special place in my heart. Whether Toby's my favorite Spider-Man or not, I'll always like look back on these films and watch these films with such great memories and just full enjoyments of what is presented by Sam Raimi. I'm gonna give this a nine out of 10. Again, this is an all time favorite for me where X-Men showed general audiences what was possible. Spider-Man only reinforced what was completely doable and what should be done going forward. It's a movie that definitely holds up the performances from Tobey Maguire, from Willem Dafoe, Kirsten Dunst, and the rest of the cast are phenomenal, not to mention J.K. Simmons. It's an absolute winner for me. I'm gonna meet you guys in the middle. I'm gonna give this eight and a half out of 10. Some of the special effects have aged, but this movie has just enough goofiness not to be too goofy. Plenty of action, it's well paced, well acted. It may not be perfect, but this is the closest thing to what Spider-Man was to me growing up. And at the time, I thought it was the best comic book movie only to be toppled by Spider-Man 2. So that being said, we pre-peace ask you to like, comment, subscribe, ring that bell, spread that shit like syphilis. So you, I say, from yours truly, Syracuse, New York, to all of our friends and fans around the world at Nerd Cage Live, as always, enjoy life, stay safe, and good night. Sayonara.